Welcome back to another episode of Modern SaaS Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Natalie Marcatulio. She's a head of growth and operations at Novatic. And Novatic is a very high-level, no-code, interactive demo platform. Uh, but we're going to talk a lot about what is the modern buying experience that B2B customers are expecting today. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited. I know we have interacted in the past, always seen your content on LinkedIn, and I thought I had to get her on the podcast here. So most of the time, what we have done in Modern SaaS podcast, talking about the seller side of it, what is the modern selling experience? But today I thought, who is the best person other than inviting you to talk about the most modern buying experience? So to kick off, Natalie, what is Novatic? And when you joined, I think you joined two years ago. What was the genesis? What was the idea that you decided to join them? Yeah, so I can talk about what it is now and where it came from. So sure. now, as you mentioned, we're a no-code interactive demo platform. And what that means in like normal terms is basically like try before you buy for software. So if you go to a website, any software website, it's basically a, a walkthrough demo where you're you're leading it yourself. You It's guided. It's not like you're dropped into like a sandbox environment, but you are able to really see what the UI looks like. It is a clone of your product, so it looks and feels like the real thing. Um, so, and it kind of ties in this whole theme we'll talk more about of just like mm. letting buyers do a little more like hands-on research before they necessarily jump on that first call. Mm. And you mentioned that now that's what it is, but when you joined two years ago, what was the story at that time and how we, how you basically decided to get into this? It still was this idea, but it did originally come from our two founders were solution engineers at Oracle, and they were just manually creating a lot of demos, setting up demo environments. Mm. So it just came from this idea of like very unscalable demo environments. But right around when I joined was when we were seeing marketing teams actually using it, putting it up on their website, which mm. when they first built it, we didn't assume people would want to be so forward facing with their product. Mm. And now it's we've seen a big shift in just two years, people being much more open to being very forward, putting their product on their website. So then your ideal customer is marketing teams, typically works for the B2B SaaS. Who who would you consider? You mentioned early on it started for the sales team, but now is it predominantly used by marketing or is it used by both the teams? It's funny because often marketing is the first one to get interest in it, mm. um, usually like product marketers or demand gen marketers. But sales generally gets more of the benefits, right? Like marketing might buy it, they're going to use it, put it up on the website. But then sales team can then use those same demos, send them in their buying cycle, mm. send them in outbound campaigns, and then they just get better leads from it. So it is usually marketers who first express interest, but once sales finds out about it, they're like, oh, I want to try this too. And so for the audience, just for them to understand and visualize, these interactive demos, these are click-through demos. So you're literally putting the entire website uh, or some parts of the website, at least the function, key functionalities for people to go and play around. Historically, B2B product marketers would have these video demos now with the narrative. They've explained the story and someone would actually show or these animated videos like explainer videos. Between these two choices, now this is kind of a new version of people actually go and feel the product. But then also I felt like, okay, it lacks the, the explanation, the narrative storytelling. So help me understand what is your advice for other founders or B2B marketers, when should you though adopt the whole explainer video thing 
versus they should uh, adopt the interactive demo thing and which one works in best in what situations yeah i think explainer videos work well for like really top of funnel like someone's never heard of your product or your category before and mm. you're almost explaining the category and the problem right so you might show parts of your product but the goal of the explainer video is more so people understand like why is this even an issue mm. while an interactive demo they're probably a little further along mm. right especially if they're going to your website and they especially maybe on specific product pages on your website mm. and that's more to show how you solve that problem um, really showing them basically like the aha moments in your product before they even have to sign in or talk to someone that's very interesting so at the top of the funnel you can still start with the narrative based the explainer videos and typically do you recommend have one full demo interactive demo where the entire website is there or do you kind of break the pieces of your product's functionality into smaller based on where they're in the funnel because a lot of the marketing websites also have these nowadays gifts or just screenshots and do you recommend people to even for every product page or area there is an interactive demo itself is that also what the recommendation would be i think it depends on your website setup and your product i would recommend like you don't want just one 10 minute long demo. Yeah. Do you want to break these up in some way? So if you yeah. do already have existing product pages, we have seen customers embed short demos on each mm. product page. We also see a lot of customers will use this as like a secondary CTA on their website. Mm. So maybe the main CTA will be book a demo, secondary mm. take a product tour, and then they'll use our checklist functionality, which is just basically a little checklist at the bottom that shows all the different parts of the tour that you can mm -hmm. dive into. For great examples, our customer Ramp, they are an expense management platform. They cover a lot of different functionalities. But if I just care about accounting, I can just jump into the accounting part of their product mm -hmm. tour. I don't have to go through the whole thing. I love that idea. So essentially, your product website, if it's broken down into smaller videos or instead of videos, now these interactive demos, you're still educating them. They still get the feel of this particular functionality. How does it look and feel? And and Obviously, you have a lot of customers now. You guys are growing. I'm sure they're seeing a lot of impact. So when when a B2B marketer is thinking like this, what impact that they're seeing in terms of um, at the end of the probably interactive demo, maybe there is you're still showing another CTA to do the demo or book the demo or maybe start a trial. So what have you seen? And I'm sure different customers might have seen different results, but I would love to hear some stories. Yeah. So yeah, very dependent on each customer, but we did do a report last year. It's called State of Interactive Product Demo. You can mm. see it on our website. And we found that on average, there's about like 20 to around 35% click-through rate for that final CTA. So mm. if you are trying to push them to another, you know, book a demo or free trial, we do see those have pretty, especially if you follow our best practices, our demos that are doing that, pretty high conversion rate. But on top of even just converting. I think the biggest thing we hear is just the quality of these leads. Like, especially that's where I kind of talked about how sales team benefits, even though marketing might be the one to first adopt it. Because these are prospects who basically are educated already about your product. It's almost like a prospect who's already done some initial discovery or like a first demo because they know what they're signing up for. So oftentimes we hear, you know, like one customer had a 30% decrease in their sales cycle. And just hearing that, like the sales reps will say, like, yeah, these are some of our favorite leads to get. Oh, that's amazing. So you have the full tracking of that. These leads came from these kind of interactive demo so that you can actually go and check the quality of the leads as well. One of the things when we were chatting, and this is full, you know, honestly, we have not still deployed a solution like this on our, on our website. And I had seen these in the past. 
And for some reason, there was some reservation that, oh, do I have to set it up, everything? And some of my main concern was the data that we have in our demo is very dynamic. So people are actually seeing the real kind of data and uh, from their own kind of trials that they want to see it. Because they see that, yeah, this works good in your world, but I want to see it how it works. So when you get these kind of objections, like, oh, my case is unique and our data is dynamic, how do you handle these kind of objections? And how would you convince me that Aditya, now you should consider and put Navatic on the website? I think we talked before about creating those like personalized experiences. Yeah. So I think that's a big one, right? If you have different demos for different use cases, for different industries, and we even use, like internally, we use Mutiny, which is a personalization platform. Mm. So we can change the demo someone's seeing depend on what industry they're in. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. We've done ABM campaigns where the demo will change depending on who, what target accounts we're going after. So you, there are ways to, while it won't be their exact data, mm-hmm. you can make sure it's more personalized to that end mm-hmm. user, whether by persona, use case, pain points. When we were chatting before, one one thing that seemed to spark your interest a little more was that like free trial activation. Yeah. Because even... Even if it's better if they've seen your own data, you still have to convince them that it's worth going through the effort of putting their own data in. And we were talking about one of our customers, Trainual, saw like a 100% increase. And I know that sounds fake, but <laughs> I saw some of the data myself <laughs> as far as free trial to paid conversion rates when they had users go through an interactive demo first. So I think it's just oh. the idea of like, even if, yes, we want them to go set up their own data, put it in. But you kind of have to convince them a little or give them a little bit first to get them to go do that. That's impressive. That's impressive. So these numbers are actually really staggering. And so you you convinced me to start looking into it. One of the things I was also, if you look at Avuma's website, the way we had always believed in that, some people want to do a trial and some people still want to talk to salesperson. And this isn't about, historically, people say, well, you're SMB customer, you should go through the self-service experience and you are a mid-market customer, and then you should talk to salesperson. In large, that's probably true. But a lot of the times we also see SMB customers also don't have time. So in that situation, they do want to talk to your kind of salesperson to really make sure that, hey, I don't have time. Help me understand what's going on. And sometimes mid-market customers have more kind of specialist people who are doing these demos and that are like a RevOps person or something else who have focus areas that they can do the evaluation and a lot more trial on their own as well. Now, this is a third option that we are saying, hey, you can get a test of our product on the website without you actually going through these painful processes. And in your opinion, what would you say, what is the buyer's expectation nowadays are? I think you touched on it really well in that People want to research or buy how they want to buy. I think that's number one. They don't want to be told or put down a specific funnel. So yeah, maybe you're an enterprise customer, but if you have time to set up a free trial, you might want to do a free trial first. You might be SMB, but maybe like you said, you you want to validate that the thing you're going to put in work setting up is actually the thing that's going to solve your issues. So I think number one is just not giving prospects flexibility. Hmm. And what we almost call like choose your own adventure era of buying hmm. and software. It's really just hmm. trusting I think it comes down to trusting that prospects know how to buy. Like 10 years mm. ago, they, they might have not because it wasn't as common to buy software. But these days, even entry-level employees are buying software. Like everyone's buying software. Mm. And I think we should have a little more faith that prospects know how to actually do the research themselves. That is that is amazing. And to be honest, actually, I'm actually in the buying process right now, a couple of tools. And I every time I 
get on a call with our customers, I feel the pain as a buyer, what they're going through. And some of the practices, some companies are still doing, I still can comprehend that's still happening. But in your opinion, what are the, let's say, top three bad practices that B2B SaaS companies are still doing when they're giving this experience to their buyers? Yeah, I actually did, or we did a report with Chili Piper on this Mm. a few months back. So we looked at basically what we said were the top three worst buyer experiences and measured it for the top 100 SaaS companies. Um, One is public pricing. Mm. So actually showing public facing pricing on your website I think that's a big thing that a lot of a lot of marketers I talk to really want to do, but there's still so much pushback from sales, from leadership. But we know that if you don't show pricing, people are just going to assume it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. We actually heard that before we showed public facing pricing. We had a lot of prospects tell us like, you know, I just assumed it'd be outside my budget range because it wasn't on the website. And now we've had prospects tell us like, I felt more comfortable entering your sales cycle once I saw pricing because it just felt a little more trustworthy. So I'd say that's one. Two is, I'm sure you probably went through this, like manual demo scheduling. So not mm. just having to like book a demo, whether it's Chili Piper, Calendly, something, just having to still manually be routed through with someone. And in our research, we actually found that 35% of the time when we b- booked a demo, people didn't respond to us. So like there is still a lot of drop-off happening where you are booking demos, you are actively saying, I want a demo, I'm interested, and people just aren't responding. So I feel like that's a big area for improvement. And then third, kind of going into the interactive demo thing, but just hiding your product, mm-hmm. like, right? Whether you are using GIFs, videos, or demos, just a lot of companies still have like very little actual product information on your website. Mm-hmm. So you're almost like what but what do you do and they kind of almost force you into that demo because you have no idea what they do unless you take it this is amazing so i feel good at least that from your top three we at least check two two box check boxes so the first one we do have pricing from day one very transparently available and also the monthly versus annual options we give so people feel there is flexibility as you said and uh, more affordability also they they find it uh, the second thing also the we also have now our own lead routing functionality that we use and so this whole stats that you mentioned that even after people shared an interest and fill the contact form and then you immediately follow up the sdr starts calling them and emailing them people still don't respond at that time so that instant scheduling is a big one that i'm here i want to talk to you right now i want to book something right now why are you not letting me to book something? So that's a great one. The third one is exactly where we are still missing. Like we don't have, we do videos, but I think this is a good experience for me to start learning about this, that, hey, we need to open up our product more so that people will start engaging with it, interacting with it before even they start the trial and they feel more comfortable what they're getting into it. Because a lot of the times it happens, people still have not seen our app. And once they test it out, they give us feedback that, wow, this is, so easy. I love the UI. I love the experience. So there are those kind of things we can get that trust early on. So thanks for sharing those three insights. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think the UI thing is really, that that's awesome. You get that feedback and we hear some of our top customers. It's because they have a really great UI and it's almost early, like you said earlier on, prospects are saying like, okay, like, yes, someone might say they're easy to use, but I actually believe it now after seeing the UI. Yeah, yeah. And so you have been now doing this marketing growth. You're, I believe, one woman show there at Nevatic. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's still one woman show. So pretty much doing all things with marketing and growth. 
and you've been there for two years, so you've probably done a lot. What would you say that one piece of advice that most marketing leaders are giving you out there, either in person or on LinkedIn? There are a lot of these influencers, thought leaders. What do you disagree with the most based on where what they tell, tell you based on the historical practices that we should be doing versus what you believe where the modern world is heading and you should be thinking differently? I think the biggest thing, it's not like one piece of advice, but it's almost when someone is super adamant that we have to use a certain channel. Because mm. I think like I've had companies where, you know, old school channels, let's say maybe like Facebook or in-person events is coming back, but like things that or outbound even that are dead worked because the audience still responded to it. Like my last company, cold calling actually still worked decently well because we sold to sales reps and they'd answer the phone. Now I sell the marketers. I never answer my phone. (laughs) So it's not like one specific thing, but I, I have had certain leaders say like, oh, you have to be doing this. You have to be doing that. And it might be useful, but I think it's really just knowing that to trust your audience and what channels work for them and don't feel like you have to be in every single channel just because another marketing leader has seen success with it. That's amazing. Is there any particular thing that you can think of as a conventional wisdom so that people have been sharing and you actually ignored that and you did the opposite? I think this is kind of like the channels of, oh, you oh, you need to try a bunch of different things. For us, kind of like email marketing and like email nurture drip, we really don't do that much email marketing and we don't do really any nurture drip campaigns. And for me, kind of going back to this buyer experience, I'm just less convinced I have the power to like, yes, you want to slightly influence people, you want to educate them, provide value. But I don't, I'm don't. i not convinced an email campaign is going to get someone who, to not buy to buy. Like I think it has. there has to be an internal catalyst that's going to get them to buy. So instead, I look at it as just like, I want to be everywhere that I can be. And so when they're ready to buy, they know about us versus thinking I'm going to, yes, again, like I want to influence them, educate them, make sure they know why Nevada's valuable, but not feeling like, okay, I have this perfect little funnel that I'm going to drip them down. And once they get to the end, like, boom, they're suddenly going to be ready. This is interesting, and I might actually push you back as a devil's advocate because I heard this interesting advice from someone. And if you know this Josh Braun, he talks a lot about cold call. And we were at one of the events next to each other having lunch for that event. And I was asking him, something was on top of my mind. I said, hey, how do I create urgency in this buying cycles? And he said, Aditya, you can't create urgency. The urgency happens when there is need for the buyer they will buy from you. So it's, I believe in the philosophy, the way you said it, that you can't convince somebody to buy something if they're not ready. But then he also shared something. He said he was trying to buy a grill. He said, I thought I wanted to buy a grill. I looked at around it and somebody started me. I got into someone's funnel. I did not make the decision. We dropped the ball on that. But that person kept sending me some useful information. And I kept liking some of the things, tidbits, thing that he was doing, but I still did not have the need. But later on, when I had a need that I want to buy something, he asked me, who do you think I'm going to go to? And so the fact that it's just the nurturing, the way I think helps is that you stay on top of people's mind, nothing else. I mean, you're not convincing them, but there is this little bit of social effect that happens that, okay, this particular person have been helpful Throughout this period, they have been sharing resources with me. And then you want to reciprocate that effort. People like helping people who are working hard or who are actually 
taken an engagement and shared some information and so he gave me this really interesting example at that time and i was like never thought about it that way but totally makes sense and uh, our sales leader actually has this uh, concept of kite k i t e t e um so it's a uh, keep in touch email so once somebody is not in the buying cycle or they say that hey we we drop the decision right now we are going to probably value it in the next quarter he puts them into this kite sequence and so when it anything that we launch product wise or some information about our industry he takes that effort to send that follow up email just to stay on top of it and he told me some of the biggest deals that he've always closed is purely through this kite so just think about it wanted to make sure that i i again this could be the conventional wisdom that you did not believe in but there might be something to try it out also no i love the idea of constantly educating and helping i think that's yeah. a good way to frame it and just giving them updates it's and cuz i do think you want to stay top of mind i just yeah. think it's less thinking i can i can convince someone to suddenly yes. need to buy if they don't have that need that is exactly so again george brown also has this thing that detach the outcome if you have attached too much attached to the outcome that i need to book the demo i need to get them on the buying cycle again then they will have the uh, smell the the commission breath is what he talks about and his point of view is that at that time your job is to still continue to educate them being that resourceful person to help them but not to convince them to buy right away so i think you you have a right point there that as long as we have that right mindset then you can still be helpful and resourceful Exactly. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I think when I get a nurture campaign that really is educational, I can tell I'm like, "Oh, this is useful." Yeah. When I get a nurture campaign that's like, "What if we meet tomorrow? Have availability <laughs> now. Here's my email schedule." Like when every single email ends with like, "Let's talk tomorrow, book a demo." That's when I I as you said, uh, smell a little bit more of the, the inauthenticity. Correct. That's true. Switching gear a little bit, Natalie. One of the things I also observed, probably you are the brainchild behind this. I'd seen Novatic dot this this whole uh community advisory kind of a program or you had some influencers they work with you and i don't know what you call that program but i would love to understand what is that something that you have done and what is the genesis of that program yeah we do call it advisors because okay. it isn't just i know some b2b saas companies where they'll work let's say oh we have a big product launch coming up we'll hire an influencer to talk about this product launch i think that can work for different strategies for us it's partly like i am a team of one as we talked about we sell to marketers so it's really helpful just to have these expert marketing leaders mm-hmm. who i can go to for my own problems to get their feedback on of like hey you're the persona mm-hmm. what do you think about this messaging what do you think about that and then of course they do also help us like promote new things or talk mm-hmm. about nevadic but it really is not just that like transactional hey go go post it they really help me as far as like my strategy and also getting feedback from the target persona. And are these typically your customers of Novatic or are they something people from your network LinkedIn or some other personal network how do you go about it? And what's the group of typically manageable when you think about these things? Some start off as customers and a lot now have gone off and done like consulting work hmm. or the kind of like full-time advising influencing work which hmm. is really cool to see. Hmm. So it's funny like it started off with a bunch of customers and now they're all doing their own thing. But we at right now I think it's about 10 people and I'd say that's pretty manageable. You know, it is, you know, I'm jumping on meetings, sending emails, sending Slack messages. It's not like it's taking up a huge portion of my time and it is generally such a big value add. But I think once you get more than that, 
we found too, like we did try to experiment. I think at the beginning we, we went a little too big and it was getting a little less manageable. And really, I think the biggest key of this is you really want people who like are your persona, really get it. Mm. Like there is very little almost like coaching that is needed as far mm. as how to talk about Nevadic or what would the target market be interested in because they just get it. Mm. So once you get past a certain, like there's only going to be so many people that fit into mm. that cohort, if that makes mm. sense. I love this. And I think the way when they start helping you because they either understand the problem or maybe let me ask you though, what, what do you think is their incentive to help you? Like, do you guys think about some kind of other different monetary incentives or is this really altruistic that I want to change the world? And so that's where, how do you identify these people and how do you engage with them that, hey, I'm asking your time. And so what's in it them for them? So how do you think about those conversations? Yeah, a lot of them did start off very organically. It was just mm. people who were interested in the space, wanted to be mm. a thought or were thought leaders in the space and wanted to talk about a cool new product that they saw coming up. Um, some of them were just very vocal customers. Mm. But once we brought them in as an official advisor, like obviously, you know, they're doing work. We do pay them because they are doing beyond just helping talk about Nevada. They are giving me feedback. They mm. are, you know, reading my emails, all that. Like we can't expect someone to do that much for free. Yeah. yeah. But I've seen some companies set it up differently. Some people, it is just out of the goodness of their heart. Some people, it is more like an equity-based thing. I've seen a few different models. Fair enough. And when you think about, you also mentioned something that you have seen a lot of value from these different people. So looking back, are there any specific stories or examples where you think that this was this program was really impactful and you recommend most modern SaaS marketers or companies, founders to invest time in this? Because these are the things that you'll see the benefit working with these extended advisors. I think one thing that's really beneficial is, you know, no matter like how objective we try to see, right? If I post on LinkedIn about interactive demos in a way that's just very high level, people still are going to be a little careful about what they say, or they're Mm -hmm. probably not going to be mean to me to my face, which is nice of them. (laughs) Versus sometimes advisors, when they talk to people, they'll get more candid feedback on the market, Mm -hmm. on what they want, what they do, what they don't like. And that's been really helpful. It's kind of getting to see an unfiltered version of what people think about the market. And is there anything then based on now looking back the journey that the program, the way you run, if I want to start this program, something like this for our Avoma customers, what would you advise me to do better, to do differently, things that I should be focusing on? I think the hardest thing to start was just finding people. And that really is just being connected in your network, like making in Mm. in not just your network, but your audience's network. Mm -hmm. So really seeing who do they respect, who do they admire? Um, And then just your own customers. Like we started with a few customers, but Mm -hmm. I think at first we were worried. We're like, is this going to be a weird customer relationship? But some of them end up being great because they really understood the product and could like really had a lot of feedback to give there. So I think I'd advise anyone to start is like, look at your customer base or ask your customers who they look up to. I think we, it took us a little while to figure that out. Interesting. Interesting. So thanks again for the advice. Definitely something um, I'm going to, two takeaways for me, first of all, interactive demos on our marketing website. And the second is this whole advisory program that we're just kicking off. And I, I loved some of the insights that you shared. So, And before we part ways here, Natalie, quick last, any parting advice, if you want to share with the founders or modern SaaS companies, uh, operators, what would be one piece of advice that you would, would you like to share with them? I think the 
biggest thing is, you know, we're talking about this modern buying experience, but it really has to be leadership spot into it. Mm. It can't just be marketing saying, oh, we need public pricing. Oh, we need a demo. It needs to be everyone's agreed, but we're going to be a little more prospect and buyer first. So I think founders just like, yes, it is scary. I get it. It goes against what we've been told for a while. But similar to what you were saying when you're buying, like just think about what frustrates you or is really frustrating. That's that's happening with your customers and your prospects. And there's no way that's not slightly tainting their image. We all like to pretend we're very objective when we're buying. But I know if I have a company where I like the sales rep, it's an easy process. I'm going to be inherently more biased to go with them versus like a really frustrating process. I love it. Beautiful words. Let's end it there. So thank you again, everyone, for listening in and tuning in. If you like what Natalie had to share about the modern buying experience, go check out Novatic. I'll put the link in the description. Definitely, I'm going to act on some of the actionable things. Hopefully, you also got a few things. And don't forget to like our podcast on different channels that we are where you're listening and subscribe so that anytime we post these new updates, you would also hear about it. Thanks now, everyone, and thanks, bye, Natalie. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye.